Today, I'm, I'm joined by Pastor Joe Hansen from Harvest Baptist Church, and I wanted to get him in the studio and talk over a lesson that we had in one of our adult Bible fellowships on the topic of prophecy. And the reason uh, for having him in to talk about this particular outline was because of some other things that we've been talking about on Take Note, and they're related to the way in which the world is changing, the things that are happening that sometimes alarm us, sometimes concern us, sometimes we we feel compelled to take action about them. And then uh, if we can step back and look at some theological basis for some things that are happening in the world— Perhaps we'll stay on track. So thanks for joining us today, Pastor Oh, thank Hansen. you. Uh, really appreciate being here with you, Chris. So the um, I guess to, the way to start is on this idea that in a, in a world that's really changing all the time, and that's always been the mm-hmm. case. It's not like we're yes. in a unique era yeah. or anything, but we seem to be in um, a society that um, is degrading. Yes. There's De- devolving, maybe. Devolving, yeah. There are there are uh, things that are alarming to us as believers in Christ because we are not familiar with seeing them happen mm. in our past. Yeah. So we have a, a different view of um, maybe things that are moral, uh, things that are spiritual. Uh, mm. People don't believe the Bible; mm. they they reject it totally, and we we become really concerned about this. Yeah. And I wonder what some of the the theological truth is that we can build our uh, philosophy on for seeing the world. And when I listened to this lesson, I thought mm-hmm. a lot of it is put together in these four truths yeah. that you have in this lesson. So I wonder if you can get us started down the road of sure. this discussion. Yeah, I remember years ago, I started doing some study on prophecy, and I ran across some pa- a pastor's notes that approached it a little bit differently. And in looking at what he had, I thought, this makes sense to me. So I borrowed some of his ideas, and I realized if we're going to understand what's happening today, and if we're going to understand what's going to happen in the future, and why God is going to not just allow the tribulation period, but he actually is setting it up and and making the plans for it. If we're going to understand all that, we need to go back to the book of Genesis and find out how God began everything. Because I'm afraid sometimes we miss today and for the future uh, what, what really is going on here because we're not paying attention to what God has said in the past. And it becomes very important to us to understand that. Um, the Bible itself is, is 66, uh, 66 books in one, and we have the story of Jesus Christ told from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so the, the Bible is one cohesive whole. And so if we can look at the Bible like that and we step back and we look at the big picture of how everything fits— all of a sudden, it started making sense to me about why we need to go back to Genesis first before we can go ahead and look at what's happening in the end times. And that made a lot of sense. Let me, let me share just a thought about how the Bible is cohesive. 
if we read uh, a passage in Luke, let me give you something from Luke chapter 1 and verses 31, uh, 2, and 3, because it's obviously the Christmas story. Notice what it says here. This is the angel Gabriel talking to Mary. And, and he says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Every Christmas time, we, we read that passage of Scripture, and so we, we get the idea, well, this is just Christmas. But if we take a closer look, it's not just talking about the birth of Christ. There's a major prophetic prediction here about right. who Christ is. What are the qualities of his life? In fact, as we look at the passage, we realize uh, we're 2,000 years past this, and some of these things have not even come to pass yet. So when Gabriel was talking to Mary... It was not just simply a prediction of Christ's birth, but he's telling us something about Jesus we're going to find out more of in the end times. And so the Bible is a unified whole. We see that clearly. Another thought here, why Genesis is important. So when we look back at Genesis, and it helps us to understand how parts fit together. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, that God gives to man dominion. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, but he gave man dominion. But then when we go to Romans chapter 1, we find that, that God condemns man because he worships the creation, the creature, instead of the create, uh, creator. And, and so we have this huge difference. But what we see in Genesis is so different than what we see here in, in Romans chapter 1. Now, what we see today is more of Romans chapter 1 than we ever saw of Genesis. So we have to understand where this is all headed. How does that help us today? I mean, what, what, does, it, sure. what does it change perhaps in our thinking? Okay. Because the world thinks in a certain way. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, so somebody will always ask you the question. They'll come to you and say, how is it possible that all these bad things are happening? Sure, because sure. you say God is so good. Mm -hmm. And you, you touched on that, that idea, right? but you also touched on the idea of, uh, there will be a time when Jesus comes back to be, to rule as King yes. on the throne of his father, David. Yes. yes. And so how does it change the thinking? Yeah in the world today. Okay, well, for, let me give you another example from Genesis. Yeah. What country do we read about in the paper or hear about on the news every single day? Russia. Okay. What little tiny country do we oh, hear about? Oh, Israel. <laughs> Israel. Okay, right. Every single day we hear something about Israel. Yeah, of course. And people to say, to, today will say, well, why is this? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, God promises to Abraham that not only will he be his God, but he will give Abraham and his uh, progeny, he will give them all a land. So the land of Israel is, is today, thousands of years after that, right. still being contested by people who don't know or don't understand. And so uh, we look at that. In fact, can, can I make a prediction here? Because of reading the Bible, and I know the end, what happens. Sure. But, but the prediction is this. It will not change until 
after the time we call the tribulation, when Christ comes to rule and reign, and during the millennial reign, Israel will finally have her land back. Right. So what, he, what the Lord says in Genesis that he promised in chapter 12 will finally come to fruition all the way uh, at the end of time. And we'll see that happen as believers. So you're touching on a little bit. We've sort of gotten mm-hmm. to it, but the, yes, we're, yes. we're sort of touching on truth number one, which yes. is the Lord Jehovah is king forever. Oh, That's amen, the first brother. foundational right, thing. Right. How does that relate? Okay, well, the idea is God has never changed. And even though man has not lived up to what God expects of him, in fact, he blew it in a big way, uh, God is still on the throne. And the same God who was on the throne before creation is the same God who is on the throne at the end of time. Right. And and nothing has changed. So this God is king forever. Uh, The scripture is very clear about that. And Psalm uh, Psalm 10, verse 16 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. In Jeremiah, there's a wonderful passage about uh, Jeremiah is talking about all of these idols that people worship. Listen to what he says here. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. They're empty, they're worthless, they're foolish. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe, and they deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. And they are upright as the palm tree. So these idols can't stand up. But notice what the prophet says. But speak not. They must needs be born. You have to carry them from place to place. Why? Because they cannot go. He says, be not afraid of them, for they can do Uh, cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. They cannot do good. They cannot do evil. Well, you go down to chapter 10, verse 10, and here's what he says about God. Note the difference between these dumb idols and then God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king, there it is. So from creation, uh, before creation, eternity past to eternity future, God is king. It says, as wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. By the way, the indignation is just another term for the tribulation that will be coming as well. So uh, that leads me to this thought that God doesn't need us. Think about this, Chris. God needs no one or nothing in order to exist. He doesn't need us to to, to help him out. No one can pull God out of heaven, and no one can usurp his throne. That's an impossibility. We can do nothing that makes God weaker, nor can we do anything that will improve his perfection. Wow. And the amazing thing is, Chris, is not that God needs us, but that God wants us. Right. And so we serve him. We serve the creator. I remember you making this point, mm-hmm. and it got me to thinking about how uh, sometimes I observe what's happening. Yes. And that impacts me, 
rather than observing what is true about yes. God and having that impact me. Certainly. Isn't it true often we have a problem somewhere and we focus on the problem? Yeah. And we never lead to the solution because we're so busy looking at the problem. Yeah. And I think that's a human tendency. We see a problem in our world today and we focus on that rather than what the answer is. And you know what what part of the answer is, is God is sovereign. Right. You know, God can do what he wants with what is his. And it all belongs to him. Think about what, what we're told here in First Chronicles. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all that is in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. God is totally sovereign. Again, he doesn't need us, but he definitely wants us to serve him. Our God is in control. Now, let me throw a thought to you here that sometimes people will ask, well, if God is in control, why do we see bad things happen? Right. Well, let me, let me give an illustration here. We can't, we, we can't blame earth's ills on God, okay? Uh, a weak illustration, perhaps, but uh, if, if my child goes out of my house and uh, let's say my child, for some for, for lack of a, another illustration, he, he, he steals my neighbor's car. Wow. <laughs> and, and he drives down the road and he gets in a wreck and he causes tremendous damage to someone or something. Yeah. Maybe someone is injured or killed because of his action. Well, today it's, it's obvious we don't arrest the parents for the child, for the teen. Right. We go after the one who has done it. Right. So we don't hold the parents necessarily accountable for the evils of their child. Right. And, and we can't do that with God just because his children, his, his creation has gone awry and they do evil. We can't blame that on God. That's what man is doing. God yeah. is sovereign. He only does right. But he will make everything right, as you know, in the end. So... But, yeah. but somebody might say to you yeah. at that point, but he sees it and he's allowing it to take place, mm. right? Mm -hmm. He sees it. He saw, see, that's, I think, where we get, where we get, um, this is where the worry begins. This mm -hmm. is where the, the yeah. anxiety begins or where we say, hey, doesn't God see this is happening? Yeah. Why doesn't he step in? Yeah. Well, we're forgetting there's someone else in the picture here. Right. Besides God. That's right. And see, that comes up, and that's what we've got to be thinking about here. And uh, let, me, let me give you one more thought about the Lord before we move sure. on to the, the, that next thought there, okay? Yeah. And, and that's this. The true sovereign God, this God, has given man two things. He has given to man dominion, the, the ability, the power to rule, and he has given man responsibility. Right. Now, we don't like to think about the second often. But you go back to Genesis again, chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And then it goes on in verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. 
That's, that's a huge statement right there. We'll say something about that in a second. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So that's man's job. He says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. So God has given to man the ability, the right, the power to to have dominion, and then also the responsibility. Now, when we talk about being made in God's image, that's an important thought to us here. And the Reader's Digest version is, is the idea that God has given to man the ability to think rationally. So, so we can think rationally. Uh, man is morally and spiritually responsible, though, for our thoughts. So God gives us the ability to think as God thinks, but we are responsible for what we think and what we do. And, and so a lot of people don't like that. They like to do anything they want to do, but they just they, they have a problem with the idea that they're responsible for that. But God, from the beginning, made it that way. And then man has a conscience. And that was designed to help us to, to understand the difference between right and wrong. But, but let me caution folks who might be listening. We don't listen to our conscience like Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio. Okay, right. uh, There's something more important, and that's called the Word of God. We go back to the Bible so that we can understand exactly what God wants. And the reason is our conscience can be skewed. Sure. And so we have to go back to the point that the, to to the the point that never changes, and that is what God has to say about things. All right. Well, God has given man dominion, so that means man has had some some things to do in God's kingdom. What did what did He want him to do? Well, as you look at Genesis, you see He had the opportunity to name the animals. Not only that, He had to love His wife. And Adam had to begin meeting the needs of his wife. That was something that was a part of that responsibility. And then he had to dress and keep the garden, which, you know, we think of paradise as being a place you never have to work. Well, we have to realize the garden was created for Adam and Eve to live in. But that place, they had to work. They had to uh, take care of the upkeep of it. And then in general, man had to obey God. And they had to learn to enjoy his fellowship. That was something that God wanted. God wants that fellowship with man. And he wants that fellowship with us today. In fact, I believe it was God's intention for man to be his representative here on the earth, to be his ambassador. Uh, We rule, but we rule under God to subdue this kingdom. And, And when you understand that, then all of a sudden, again, Romans chapter one comes in and you see why Romans 1 is such a disappointment because of Adam's sin there in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and man's fall. We see that man never gets, but but by the time Romans comes around, man is not anything like what God wanted him to be. Now, we can't blame this on God. We, We do. Put the blame where it belongs. Because we have responsibility. Absolutely. Right. So you have freedom, but you've got responsibility that's that's attached to it always. And so uh, we we get to Romans chapter 1, and God shows that he expects man to obey the truth of God, but man has taken that truth and turned that truth into a lie. And now man worships the creature instead of the creator. Man would rather worship himself rather than that holy God. You know, we we understand when we look at all this why man has to be judged. 
So, so the prophecy in, in fulfillment at the end is, is God's judgment on the earth. Why? Well, when you go back to, to Genesis, you understand God set things up the way he wanted. And man has ruined that picture. So therefore, man will be judged in the end. That is very, very clear when you look at the Word of God. You see, he wants us to be in control. He, he wants us to be able to face our temptations, but to handle the temptations correctly, not just do anything and everything. He wants us to face our trials head on, but he wants us to handle them the, the way a believer ought to handle them. And we have to bring in every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. The way we think is important, and God's going to judge that as well, how we think about things. And by the way, this also explains why it's, it's going to be so great someday when you and I as believers are glorified. We learned about that in 1 John chapter 3. And when we see Christ, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Think about it, Chris. The curse of sin will be removed. We today can't imagine what this place would be like without sin, or even our own selves, when we're not sinning. Uh, we will be able to rule and reign with Christ as joint heirs with Christ. He is our elder brother there. And then finally, we're going to be fulfilling the role for which we were created. So what a thought. Someday, someday it will all change. But now there's a third truth we need to look at there in Genesis. And here's the problem. It really, it's got to fit into the picture before we can really answer the, the thoughts there. And that's this. The third truth is that Satan, because of his rebellion, raised up a false kingdom. Satan is the master counterfeiter. And everything that good is good and godly and holy that God has, Satan has something that looks good, looks godly, looks holy, but it's really not. He is a counterfeiter. He is very good at that. So we understand the fall of Satan. Uh, sometime between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3 would be the time that Satan fell. We understand why Satan fell from Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, it's very clear that he fell because he had an eye problem. I like to think of it that way. Here's what he said. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. In other words, his idea was, was looking at the throne of God thinking, I'd be a better God than he is. I will take his place. And of course, Satan then fell because of that egotistical pride that he had. He fell. His sinful desire to usurp God's authority and of course, God did not tolerate that for a moment. By the way, let me just remind our listeners, there, there is no worry or wonder about how it's going to come at the end. Read the Bible. You'll, you'll figure out what the end is, uh, what's going to happen. Uh, do we have to worry about Satan? This, this control he seems to have over th everything. Well, let's, let's contrast something here for just a minute, if I could. You see, God, under his kingdom, made man, if I can use the term, I, I use this in Sunday school class, he made us to be dominion havers. <laughs> right. So my apologies, English teachers and others. But uh, yeah, he wants us to have dominion. 
But then Satan, on the other hand, is a dominion thief. And he tries to usurp all the good that God has made. Uh, He wants to usurp the sovereign God's authority. And the problem is these two ideas come into conflict. And when man and Satan and the ideas came into conflict, we have a major problem, and that's the fourth point here. The fourth idea that we looked at is, is man's choice. Man had to make a choice. What will I do? Will I listen to Satan or will I listen to my God? And you know the result. Man fell. And what a sad thing. Genesis 3 teaches us all that. Uh, Eve comes to, 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 or excuse me, Eve doesn't come to the serpent. The serpent comes to Eve and right. asks all kinds of, of thought-provoking questions about God's goodness. If God were really good, why would he do this? And you know, the people are still asking the same questions today. Could I say this? Probably it's people who've bought into Satan's way of thinking, who ask questions that way today. Because Satan, man, he had had it all figured out. At least he thought he did. See, he, he cast doubt on, on God's word because he said this, Eve, you're not going to die. God knows in the day you, you're not going to die. God says you're, you're going to die. You're not going to die. And, and then he, he completes his lie by telling them all the benefits of eating the tree that God says, don't eat this tree. Uh, you can't have that fruit. It's good for food. Well, we recognize that as being lust of the flesh. Yeah. Uh, it's pleasant to the eyes, so it's good for the lust of the eyes. It's desired to make you wise. It's, it's the pride of life. And so Eve bought into that picture. All right. So what happens here? Well, they're given that choice. What do they do? Which kingdom will they follow? Well, they're going to follow God's true and righteous kingdom or Satan's usurped false kingdom. Which way? Well, you know, Adam and Eve made that wrong choice. They made the wrong decision. And this bad decision has affected mankind since then. And when we get to the end, we can look back at the beginning and say, Yes, we see where all this has come from. That one bad choice started the ball rolling. Man was created to represent God, but now man has betrayed God. Man who was supposed to subdue the creation has now been fooled by that very creation that God has made. And he's listened to the serpent rather than listening to the creator. And so God comes from heaven to this now sinful man, Adam, and his wife, and man, he talks to him. And I think of Genesis 3.15, what a wonderful promise is given as he talks to them. Here's what God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. Uh, I don't know many women that like snakes, by the way. But but anyway, I will put enmity. You guys are going to be enemies. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. At this point, God declares war on Satan. And he shows us there's a difference here. There's a difference between Satan's line and God's line, between Satan's seed and God's seed. And there's a difference here from the very beginning. And we can begin to trace those ideas right through the scriptures. In fact, Adam and Eve's first children, you have Cain who slays Abel. Wow. Now think about it a moment. When God called them together to give an accounting The sacrifice that Cain brought was the fruit of the ground. He didn't listen to God. He was doing his own thing. 
Abel brought of the flocks. He brought the blood sacrifice God required. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. He would not accept Cain's sacrifice. And we see a major parting of the ways between the godly and the ungodly. In fact, the, the ungodly line, Cain, slew his brother Abel. First murder. First kids. First family in the Bible. And one kid kills another. It's interesting what John calls this murder and the way he talks about that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, here's what he says. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, well, of Satan, right. and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Here you go. Here's the reason. Because his own works were evil and his, other, his brother's righteous. So there is a dichotomy here all the way back in Genesis between those who want to serve God, those who love him, and those who hate God and do not want to do what he says. So we see that, and that works all the way through the Scriptures. Um, if I could jump from the Old Testament there at the beginning to the beginning of the New Testament, there we see a man by the name of King Herod, an extremely wicked man. And we see this idea go on when Herod demands that all the babies, men, babies, male, two years of age and under, in Bethlehem be, be slain. Now, what is his goal? His goal is to slay the Christ child. Yeah. But yet, because he is following the works of his father, who was a murderer from the beginning, Satan, uh, he puts all those babies to death. Terrible time. Terrible. And um, we, we know the outcome. Of course, he couldn't find Jesus because he was with his, his stepfather, Joseph, and Mary, in Egypt, they'd been warned to, yeah. to go away at that time. Well, when we think about this war between God's people and Satan's people, there's some results of, of this fall. Uh, when man fell, when Satan fell, it really caused problems. And now we see a war between Satan's followers and God's followers. You want to know why there's evil on the earth now? Well, it's because you've got Satan's people doing the works of their father, and those who know Christ are trying to live lives uh, and do the works of their father. Right. And so you have this major clash of ideas, this major clash of uh, and problems here. What was it that Jesus called the Pharisees of his day? You remember over in Matthew chapter se uh, 3, verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, <laughs> yeah. oh, you bunch of snakes. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So not very flattering when Jesus talked to these men because he recognized them as being of their father, the devil. In fact, later on in John chapter 8, he describes that very clearly when he says this, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar in the father of it. The, the, the phrase that strikes me is, ye are of your father, the devil. Yeah. So there's two lines of people, the godly and ungodly. Now, now, unless we get a little proud because we know Christ, let me remind everybody what the scriptures tell us, that Jesus himself said, you cannot be neutral when it comes to Christ. He says this in Matthew chapter 12, he that is not with me, 
is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So either I am with Jesus or I am not. I'm against him. There's another thing we need to think about here as the result of the fall. Since Adam and Eve, all humans, all humans have been born sinners. So I don't want us to get proud thinking, hey, look where we are. No, <laughs> that's only God's grace, brother. Yeah. Because we have all sinned. Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, that one man being Adam, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And I'm afraid the sin principle has stuck with us all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way to the end, and it will not be completed or cured until Christ comes back and takes care of everything. You see, men were not good, but sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. So God sent a flood in order to destroy mankind. After the flood, only righteous people are there now after the flood. And man did not improve at all. But they went out immediately and tried to make a name for themselves. And they tried to build a tower so they could reach to God. Sounds kind of like what uh, we learn about Satan in Isaiah 14. It, it, maybe they can take God's place. They have a throne that reaches up to him. Well, our problem is that every single one of us was born on the wrong side. Yeah. All of us have been born sinners. We are sinners. Now, we have to understand there's a difference with Adam. Adam wasn't born. He was made. But get this now. Adam was made innocent. He wasn't a sinner, but he was innocent. He didn't understand what sin was at the time. But then shortly after he was made, I don't know how long, but shortly after, he does sin and becomes a sinner. But get this. You and I were born already sinners because of Adam's sin. Uh, we were not born innocent. And then we sinned later. That, that's not it. We were born with a sin nature. We continue to sin. By the way, this all points to some theological words called total depravity. Yeah. Wow, what a terrible thought. Man is totally depraved. Now, we've got to understand what that's talking about, total depravity. We're not as bad as we could be. There are some really wicked people out there, but we're not as bad as we could be. What this points to is that that taint of sin works its way into every part and every feature in our lives. Right. And so even though we know Christ, that, that sin nature, I'm afraid, is still there. We, we can't act correctly by ourselves. We no longer can think correctly by ourselves. This is why it's so important that a person trusts Christ. Jeremiah said that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Paul said that we were by nature the children of wrath. And we were so bad that Jesus said, He that believeth not on him is condemned already. So, Chris, we got a major problem when people do not want to follow God. They're following after Satan, their great, great, great grandfather, I guess you could say. Now, either we're scattering abroad or we're gathering together, the way Jesus looks at it. When we love Jesus, we gather. If we don't know him, we're in that scattering. So the two lines of people are either loving Jesus or they're scattering abroad. And so today we see problems that happen because of that very thing. 
So as sinners, we belong to Satan. We were helpless in his grip. But when you trust Christ, the only thing that can happen to change that is the redemptive work of Christ. The, the, the greatest power on earth is not the atom bomb. The greatest power on the earth is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the only power that can change a human heart. And that's the only thing that can get us to heaven. Salvation gives us forgiveness from sin. Salvation gives us redemption because of what Jesus did. He brought us back from the slave market of sin. And then Christ has put us in a position now where we can finally please God. Now, we're not perfect yet. We're not sinless, but we are still sinners. But you know, with Christ in us, He helped us to be now where we can serve God. We can love God as we are or ought to there. There's another result of the fall that I need to mention here, Chris, and that is the idea of death. You know, death started way back in the book of Genesis. Think about it. If Adam had not sinned, the sin is what introduced death into the world. Had Adam not sinned, there would be no death. That's something to think about. By the way, what is it that Satan promised Eve? Hey, eat the fruit, you won't die. Yep. Remember that? It's so clear in Genesis chapter 3. You shall not surely die. But the very first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned was they died. Get this now. Spiritually. Right. And then physically their death started. Right. That downward process towards death began at that time. Death means, of course, separation immediately. They were spiritually separated from God. They no longer had that intimate fellowship with God day by day. Physically, biologically, their bodies began to die, to wear out. They began to age. And ultimately, they did die and their souls were separated from their bodies. We, we can read that very clearly in Scripture. It's interesting. What did Satan promise? No death. Hey, eat the fruit. You're not going to die. But it's interesting, a little bit later in chapter 5 of Genesis, we, we find the proof that Satan is a liar because Adam lived 930 years and he died. Yep. His son Seth lived 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 905 years and he died. And we get the picture, the list goes on, but every single one of those ancient people died. As we do. They lived a little longer, much longer. Yeah. But we are going to die just like those people died back then because death is a part of uh, what we see every day now because of Adam's sin. But you know, Chris, just dying and being put in a grave is not the worst part here. There's something far worse, and that's what the Scripture calls the second death. And I hope our listeners really listen to this. What is that second death? Well, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, describes what that second death is. Here's what it says. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable, the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Interesting. God allows these people to do what they want. Why doesn't he just destroy them when they do it? Oh, but see, our God is a God of grace and we're living in a time of grace. 
And God wants us to reach people just like that with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he might save them. Well, the second death is ultimately what happens to any unsaved person, those who do not know Christ as their personal Savior. They are eternally separated from God, and there's no hope of remedy whatsoever at that time. So let me implore people, listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, make sure of that thing. Call someone at the station here. Call Harvest Baptist Church. Get a hold of another good pastor. Read, read the Bible and find out what it takes for a person to truly be born again. That is so important. And it has to happen before death because after death, there's no hope at that particular time. Well, Chris, as we think about all of these things, these four principles, it leads us to some very... Uh, we look at those and we can understand why we're in the fix we are today. Yeah. Because man has disobeyed God so thoroughly right. through time. And that does have implications on the future as well. Yeah. You're, what, you're, what you've said here, you've you set a foundation for us to, mm. when we're thinking about, I'm, I'm going to think about these things a lot whenever right. I'm talking about things that are happening in the world sure. that I see as unjust because of course they are right that I see as um, uh, a great change from the past mm -hmm. because they are. Mm -hmm. And instead of thinking about them in sort of a hand to hand combat, flesh to flesh, oh, physical yeah. combat, I need to step back yes. and view the theological uh, reasoning behind why it's happening yes and it equips you for the battle as well because sure. what you do then is you say i need to, to to fight this on the spiritual level yes the weapons of our warfare are, are not carnal but amen. are mighty through god amen and so i i think that uh perhaps even believers in the lord jesus christ oh. maybe get their eyes on yeah on the flesh and blood sure and you start to work in that realm yeah. thinking that there are solutions yeah. to these great problems that are from back <laughs> in Genesis. Yes. And uh, like I said a while ago, Israel, we see it in the paper every day because of issues there. Yeah. That will not change till Jesus comes back. Yeah. And man's sin nature isn't going to change without help from Jesus. Yeah. None of that will be different. None of that's going to change yeah. without Jesus. So in all of this, we need to keep our focus right. I, I'm reminded of Peter. Remember when he's in the boat and they saw Jesus walking on the water? And at first they thought it was a ghost. And here they are rowing hard in the Sea of Galilee and the wind is contrary, it says. And the guys have been rowing. And, and here comes Jesus walking across the water and he's about to pass them. I, I really wish I could have seen that. Uh, but then they see Jesus. And they said, who are you? And they have this conversation. And Jesus tells them, it's I. It, I, I am your Lord. And, and Peter says, if it's really you, let me come and walk to you. Yeah. So Jesus says, come on. And Peter jumps in the water and he does fine for a while. But then he turns around and where does he focus? Not on Christ. And as long as he's focusing on the Lord, the storm he was going through and walking on water that's impossible for man, none of that was a problem. Right. But then all of a sudden he took his eyes off the Lord and he looked around him and he remembered his circumstance right. and he panics. 
and the Lord had to catch him. Otherwise, he would have drowned that day. And I think for our listeners and for us, Chris, you and I battle this very same thing. We see the evil in the world, and we want to panic. And for a moment, we may take our eyes off the Lord. But listen, if we don't keep our eyes on him, he is the answer to all of this. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is about Jesus. And he is the answer to all of these things. Folks, we have to keep our eyes on him. Because without that, we're going to fail every time. We're going to come up with the wrong conclusion every time. Yeah. So when you see problems, you see issues, what do we do? We, we focus on Christ. We focus on the word. And we remember the big picture here. When Christ comes back again in power and glory, he will make it all right. And, and, you know, as believers, I think that's what we're looking for. At least I am, and I know you are, for the time Christ comes back and he makes everything right. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Joe Henson, thank you. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. I appreciate this. And uh, I'm going to reiterate mm-hmm. some of these truths as we go throughout Take Note. Wonderful. And, uh, and we'll see if we can, um, instead of keeping our eyes on the things that are happening in the world, although we are always aware Yes. We're always vigilant, and yet if we keep our eyes on Christ, yes. those things won't, we won't sink. Yes. We won't sink. We won't get swallowed up in the wrong things. We won't go fighting the wrong battles. Right. And remember, our battle, folks, is not with flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.10. Yeah. So often we see people doing bad things, and we want to go after the people. And the Lord reminds us, no, 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 our battle is not against them. Right. It's against spiritual things. What do these people need more than anything else? These people need the gospel. Yeah. So just a thought as we conclude here. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate brother. you being with me. Yeah. Amen.